Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast, a show focused on inspiring and empowering you to become a better writer. Come along as we deconstruct the tips, routines, and motivations of your favorite authors. In the end, it's all about getting your story onto the page. Welcome to episode 70. 70. Wow. 70 episodes. How Ellie Alexander writes. This episode is for anyone who loves to bake and write and read. Ellie Alexander is the best-selling author of multiple mystery series, but what I really admire is how she has intertwined her love of baking and writing. Ellie brings this passion to her novels, and as a result, she expands her readers' experiences in a really, really fun and unique way. I love it all. Add on to that that Ellie has so much amazing advice and wisdom on the writing life. And I can honestly say this episode is awesome. Thank you again to Ellie for her time and for this interview. And now my friends, here is the interview with Ellie Alexander. Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast. I am your host, Brian. And today's very special guest is Ellie Alexander. Ellie is the author of the best-selling Bake Shop Mystery Series set in the beautiful southern Oregon town of Ashland, as well as the Sloan Krause Mysteries. Ellie also writes the Pacific Northwest Mystery Series and Rose City Mysteries as Kate Dyer Seeley. Ellie is a a Pacific Northwest native who spends ample time testing a multitude of pastry and other recipes in her home kitchen, or at one of the many famed coffee houses nearby, though probably not that second one as much anymore. When she's not coated in flour or hard at work on the next book in one of her cozy mystery series, you'll find her outside exploring hiking trails, trying to burn off calories consumed in the name of research. I loved that line. The 12th book in the Bake Shop mystery series, Chilled to the Cone, was released on December 29th, 2020, and is available now. Ellie, welcome to the show. Oh my gosh. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. I'm, I'm super excited to interview you. Uh, I, I have so many different directions and ways that this whole thing can go, but what I want to start with, I, I haven't done this in a while and I really like doing it. And so we're going to do it, uh, which is, I want to ask you like contrasting questions. So basically what do you love about one part of the writing process? And then what do you hate about it as well? And we're just going to kind of, it's just kind of like Cal Stengs. We're going to do our stretching by, by doing this, getting warmed up. So the first question is, um, what do you hate and what do you love about the editing process? Ooh, I honestly, <laughs> I know this is going to sound weird, but I love all of the editing process. Okay. I think all of the magic happens in editing. And I actually don't use the word editing. I use the word layering because mm-hmm. I think each time you come back to a book, you add like another luscious, beautiful layer to it. Oh my gosh, I, I would say, that. um, yeah, layers. I, I don't. It. I don't love getting copy edits from the copy <laughs> editor at the publishing house. <laughs> but if we're talking about me, I actually yeah. like editing. That I, what's interesting too, and I, I want to get to like your um, you know, love of baking, but layering seems to also kind of like fit a little bit with like baking and cooking. Like you kind of like think about food sometimes in layers. Um, okay, next one. What do you love and hate about the publishing process? Ooh, um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a loaded question. Let's I see. 
tread lightly. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I love sending a book out into the world. That's the best feeling. I just got cover art for book 14 in the Big Shot Mysteries. So seeing all of that so cool. come to fruition, I think I'm going to go back to copy edits. I hate the copy edits part. Okay. What, what, what part of it is it, is it just seeing, I don't want to say nitpicky because it's so important to do copy edits, but it's certainly, um, you know, I don't, exhausting. Like what, what is it about copy edits that you're just like, I don't like it. I think it's the minutia and I have huge respect for editors. My dad yeah. taught um, Shakespeare, hence this bake shop series having a lot of Shakespeare in it. So um, I am not someone who is afraid of a red pen, like bring it on, yeah. but copy edits, it's all the minutia, you know? So it'll be like, um, for example, in my Pacific Northwest mysteries, my young protagonist is out for a hike and she says, I'm going to hike Angel's Rest, which is 2000 feet. But the line edit from the copy editor will be actually Angel's Rest is 2,122 feet and 32 <laughs> inches. Did you mean to be vague? But then I overthink it. I'm like, yeah, because no 20 year old's going to be like, I'm going to go hike a 2000. Right. You know? So it's stuff right. like that. Yeah. 2000 plus. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. What? do you love and what do you hate about the first draft process? Oh, I love getting back in touch with characters because they feel like old friends. I hate finishing it actually, because it feels like, Oh, okay. I'm going to have to say goodbye to them for a little while. Oh, I love it. Okay. Uh, two more. What is your favorite part? Favorite part of the whole writing a novel process? Sketching out a new idea. Okay. What about that is, is, is exciting for you? I think it's just that you're building a world each time, you know, yeah. even if you're writing a long running series, every new book is a new adventure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally get that. Okay. And then what is your least favorite part? Are we getting back to copy edits <laughs> of the whole novel writing process? The thing you, you like the least. What I like the least in the actual writing process I don't, I honestly, I don't think I, writing is definitely my happy place. When I'm uh, not writing, I sway anxious. So during times when I'm not working on a book, like word count for me is almost like a daily meditation. So I actually think when I'm not in the middle of a book is when I'm, when I do the worst. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you say that. So I, um, I'm starting a new project now and, um, you know, I, I'm kind of making a big deal out of it. Like I'm going to, essentially I'm going to document the entire thing and share it with, with the, with the audience of the entire thing, start to finish. And on top of that, I'm doing it in a huge life change, which is um, myself and my wife and my two daughters and my mini golden doodle are moving into an RV to travel the country. So we're going to combine all these things into one really crazy, uh, you know, series, whatever, but I'm not writing right now. I'm I'm intentionally not putting words on the page because I'm not ready to start documenting it. And I want, I really truly want to show everything, like the whole process. Um, and I feel awful. I feel horrible. I wake up every day and I'm a little bit angrier. Um, I'm a little bit snappier with my daughters. I'm saying a lot more. I'm sorry. It's like, there's this built up pent up energy that I'm just like, oh, I just don't like the feeling of not, doing something, even if it's garbage words, it still feels better than doing nothing. So I totally get yeah. that. Yeah. There's something, and I don't think uh, people talk about that a lot, but there is really something about your mental health when you have something that you're just like super focused on in terms yeah. of workout. Um, yeah. And also that's the coolest project ever. I'm going to definitely <laughs> want to follow along. 
amazing. Yeah, it's it's a wild. The, you know, the the Murphys, our family, are we're a real YOLO family, and so um, we just got this bug in our head, and it's been a bucket list for a long time. And so YOLO, we're gonna just like we we already bought everything. It's just like it's chaos. It's crazy. So, anyways, I'll have to say different time and place for that one. But uh, yeah, it's gonna be fun. Um, so one of the things I want to talk to you about, it, as I was reading your bio and um, was just kind of digging into you and doing a bunch of research on you, you um, you have such a love of uh, in your own personal life and then in your writing of baking and of you know this this idea of creating food and um. I've had a few guests now who have this kind of love of cooking and it really fuses their way into their writing as well. And, and it's, and it's, there's something about the activity of cooking that seems to really play well with some writers. It seems to play well with some authors. Like it's a central part of their life. And I'm wondering for you, as you think about your, your relationship with baking and you think about your relationship with writing, um, how are those two things like, interplayed with each other how they like complemented each other at what points are you like my baking supports my writing and my writing supports my baking does that make sense yeah absolutely yeah i think it's really symbiotic um the processes are similar and different of course so baking is so sensory and tactile you know you're like kneading bread dough and so usually for me i write a first draft of a book. And then once that's done and it's resting and I'm not going to touch it for a while, almost like a bread dough too, where you need to like give it <laughs> yeah. space to rise yeah. and bubble and work its magic. That's when I transition into the kitchen. And I think that then ends up informing the book so much more. And that's why I talk about editing in a layer. So I will go back through and do a whole food layer after actually like immersing myself in baking for a while, but I just, I think baking is like a love language too. Yeah. It really is. So I want to, I want to pull that apart a little bit. Um, I want to separate those ingredients. Uh, dad jokes. Um, well done. <laughs> I can't help it. I mean, I can't help it. You, you have kids, well, yeah. man, dad jokes coming up. So, um, so, so you, you're, you write your first draft and then you let it sit a little bit you, you let the yeast rise and then, and then you go and you um, think about the recipes that will support the book. Is that how that works? Yeah. So when I'm writing, I mean, sometimes it's more intentional. I might go into a book. So for example, the first book in this series, um, the first two recipes are family recipes. My dad is like a truly an artisanal baker. So he will spend wow. an entire day, like doing an eight layer tort and making homemade marmalade and piping it with beautiful mocha buttercream. My mom who um, died a few years ago, she was more like your Betty Crocker baker. So she would just like slather on a chocolate cake. They would taste (laughs) awesome, but they don't look anything like picture perfect. She was pre Instagram and Pinterest. Right. Um, So sometimes I will go into a book knowing, Oh, I have this family recipe that I want to share, but usually it is more that whatever is top of mind as I'm writing, uh, today I'm going to be working on book 15 of the bake shop. And I just had like this delicious pistachio orange latte. And so I have a feeling that that might work its way into the book. But once I finish a first draft, I'll go through just a, as a quick skim and go, okay, well, what can I really bake? Like, are, is that reasonable? Like, have I said that I'm going to make some sort of like French pastry that there's no way I have the skills to do. So then I'll pull out probably 
10 things that I talk about in a first draft and actually see what's realistic and then try to recreate it. So, and I think it's important. I probably skipped over this point. Um, It's important to know uh, that you include recipes with your books. And, and so this is the process we're talking about. Like you actually are um, like giving the recipe as well, kind of like a supplement, like a complimentary piece of it. Do you find that readers, that extra kind of like, how do I say this? It's like, you know, it's almost like you have your own kind of special touch or twist on your reader experience where someone's going to read your book and they're going to read this cozy mystery, but then they're also going to get to engage with it on another level, one more level of engagement beyond just the actual reading of the, the book. And do you feel like that's helped you connect with readers more? Like have, have people reached out to you and been like, the book really hit home more because, you know, I was able to bake this recipe and understand something? Yeah, absolutely. And I do think that brings back that point of food being such a love language and a connection point. And so many of our memories are stored in food. You know, when you have that smell of what it was like in your grandmother's kitchen, I'm always touched when readers send me pictures of what they've baked at home. Um, And then I would say like second to writer questions and some questions about um, like romance themes within the series the number one uh, question that I get probably on a weekly basis are for recipes that don't make the final cut too. Well, on page 32, she made <laughs> blah, blah, blah. I'm like, Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's really um, important and interesting. Right? For, so, so for the listeners who are thinking about um, publishing and getting their work out, right. Some, some writers write and all they care about is expressing their own story on the page and if someone ever reads it, they don't care. Some writers are writing because they want to see the work published and out in the world. And I think especially now as, as you know, we have more and more self-publishing and more and more books just being published in general, readership's up. You know, the idea of how to, you know, connect with an audience and give an extra experience like that, I think is going to be more and more important in our world going forward because at least in my experience, um, you know, when somebody really loves an author, they want everything they can get from that author. Like they want, you know, that's why like this show has been really interesting for even people who aren't writers, even just readers. Cause they're like, give me more of the behind the scenes. I want to know more about their life. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's an interesting point. I love that you do that. And I wanted to highlight it. Cause I think it's such a cool, interesting idea. I've not come across it before. It's really neat. Yeah. And it's kind of, um, it's a balance point because you don't want the food, the food I like to think of as like a secondary character because the food narrative should not pull you out of the plot right? because, you know, we want the tension. We want the story moving forward. So the food is almost more atmospheric, um, but there is sort of a balance to getting that right sometimes. And I will find, especially if I'm writing a first draft that I can get really sucked into describing that delicious pistachio (laughs) for a long time where I'm like, no, 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 get to a body. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I could see that being the case, you know, where you, um, yeah, where, where like the, the story elements are not as, you know, profound maybe because you're just so focused. I could see how that could be, you know, something that came to mind. So, um, I, I want to rewind. I haven't asked this question in a long time. It's another one of my favorite questions, but do you remember, do you remember your first story? Uh, without a doubt, I still Let's have a copy it. of it. And it was cool. Um, Your face lit up at that question. Yeah. You were just like, yes, I remember it. Like it was such a cool, uh, it was such a cool visual to see that. <laughs> I need to frame it because I found it a few years ago when I was going back through old photo albums. My mom had saved it second grade, 
the house on the haunted hill. And that that's syntax is wrong, but right. <laughs> and um, it was a story about two young girls who biked to a haunted mansion. I think it also portended to the fact that I was destined to write sort of these lighter Agatha Christie style mysteries and not like CSI because they get to this scary mansion, their bikes break down, you know, there are cobwebs that sweep across their face. It is funny to listen to my second year old language. Um, (laughs) But then they find like a bicycle repair kit in the basement and ride off happily ever after. So not a lot of, um, not a lot happens, but um, very atmospheric for sure. Yeah. So you were, you were in the second grade? I was in the second grade. Okay. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, and I, I have two daughters and, um, one is in kindergarten, the other one's in third grade. And so it's interesting. I've asked that question a few times and a lot of the early story memories are like very young, like second grade ish, like, you know, like just getting the command of language. And so it's interesting then to look at my own kids and be like, are you going to remember something that's happening right now? You know what I mean? Like, but totally save it as a dad. Like if, if they write something or, you know, or artistic, put it away in a notebook. That's yeah, such a I'm, gem. I am definitely prodding them to be storytellers. I mean, I am doing everything I can to make them writers, everything in my ability I'm doing. And I'm like, you know, going overboard, but anyways. um, So, so from the time you wrote your, your first story, was there a moment as you were, you know, kind of maturing and getting older when you realized like, wow, I kind of want to do this and, you know, be a writer. Like I want to be somebody who tells stories. Yeah, absolutely. In college, I minored in creative writing. I thought maybe I was going to go all in, but then I was also like, how am I going to pay for, you know, an apartment (laughs) and those sort of things. So I actually, my degree's in speech therapy. Um, But I think actually there's a lot of information that I pull from those years, because as a speech therapist, I worked in early intervention. So little guys, and it's just, it's a lot of listening. Um, so I employ a lot of the techniques that I used in seeing where speech and language was falling apart when I'm working on a first draft. Cause well, not so much right now, but typically I will go and just bring a notebook with me and listen to conversation and really listen to like those nuances of speech and dialogue. And I think that's really helped my writing. Yeah. Let's let, can we dive into that? Like, what are some of those things I've never, I've never had this discussion before. And so I have to talk about it. Like, what are some of the strategies that you learned as a speech therapist that you can use as a writer? So I used to take what are called soap notes. So you look at subjective, objective, um, you analyze, and then you make a plan. Um, And so that's literally when I first started writing mysteries or writing fiction in general, I would do that. I would kind of take my old form and I would go and listen. So a lot of strategy is just, you have to understand, of course, typical speech and language development. It's a lot of studying um, syntax and linguistics and like the flow and pattern and rhythm of language when you're talking about a child who might have an articulation issue or a stutter. And so I think, you know, kind of in the recess of my brain, that whole treasure trove is there. And maybe I'm not cognizant of it when I'm writing, but it comes through because I'm thinking about writing from an auditory perspective. Interesting. So you're thinking about writing from an auditory perspective, like how somebody would hear it. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. This is this is so interesting. And like, where does you, you like mentioned like linguistics and syntax? Like, how do those things like play out in your writing? Because I do think syntax more than linguistics, which is which is uh, nerdy and interesting, but maybe not unless you're like, um, yeah, (laughs) yeah, unless, unless you're, you're writing a Lord of the Rings 
part two is not yeah. super, not super important, but um, like where does syntax come in? Like, and how are you using like this, this sense of syntax in your writing? <laughs> Right. And I mean, I shouldn't make it sound like I have um, a high level awareness of that when I'm writing. <laughs> I'm, I don't think I'm necessarily breaking it down at that level, but I just think that's all sort of in the peripheral in terms of like um, sort of the breadth of my knowledge about language. And so when you're looking at syntax or kind of semantics or anything like that, um, you know, like where might, a, what, when would you potentially have something flow when would you want just one word to pop you know those sort of things yeah yeah totally i i think that's one of those one of those places in in writing development like craft like technique development that um is so critical because because the way the the words kind of bounce on the page and the, and the way the reader kind of takes them in can have as much of an impact as the words themselves, you know, and, and if you have really, you know, sometimes difficult, clunky sentences, hard to read anything that's kind of, I always say like anything that makes the reader pump the brakes, um, pulls them a little bit out of the story. And so the, the, the more your syntax can be smoothed out and have like a poeticism to it, which is just hard. It just takes a long time to do. Um, it, it will definitely help that reading experience. For sure. That's one of those, there's not a lot of definitive statements in the writing life. That is one of the pretty close ones that it's like the smoother your syntax, the smoother your sentence structure, um, the easier it will be for your reader to, to just lose themselves in the story. I could not agree more. And yeah. one thing that I tell new writers when they ask, like, what can I do to improve my craft? Like, and I don't hear this a lot is you should listen to, you should listen to as much as you can. You should listen to poetry. Totally. You should listen to an audiobook because it, there's a difference when you're listening. I mean, of course, yeah, we're all first and foremost reading, but you're reading that in your head. So when you find that cadence, I think it, it can be really, it's the difference between, you know, maybe a book like you're saying that somebody's going to keep yeah. turning the page or not. And that that's not even tied to plot necessarily all the time. Right, right. That's like a whole, that that's, that's like an entirely different um, kind of concern than like, does the tension and, and pacing of the story work, you know, pacing and syntax are two different things, which, you know, can melt, make your brain melt, you know, another idea too. Um, and I've, I've done this a lot in my own work and, um, you know, sometimes with, with, with in coaching, this is painful. This will not probably feel good if you haven't done this yet, but if you're also wanting to be like, how can I improve my syntax? And you want to do something today, um, print out your story print out two pages, three pages, whatever, get your phone out, hit the record button, read your story into your phone, and then cringe as you play it back to you. Nobody likes to hear their voice the first time. It took me a solid year of being a podcaster to even tolerate the sound of my own voice. So once you get over your own voice, just let it like burn those feelings away. Then you can actually listen to, um, you know, the rhythm of your prose. And a lot of times you're like, oh, that doesn't sound right. Cause your ear will interpret it very differently than what your mind will. And even listening to it back when you're not actually reading, it's a totally different experience. So it's another totally accessible option for you, or you can even have somebody else read it to you. And that sometimes can even feel, you know, a little bit better if you don't like the sound of your voice that much, which most people tell me they don't like. <laughs> No, I think that's such great advice. And, it, and like, you're right. It's also two totally different language centers of our brain yeah. that we're tapping into. So, right. yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, talking to a speech therapist here. Um, so as, as a, you know, someone who has, has published, put out many books, dozens of books, um, do you have a like 
process to your day? Do you have a, a writing process in general? I'm always very interested. And I think a lot of people, the background is a lot of people want to be a working writer and they're confused about what it takes to go from being somebody who writes to being a working writer. And so I'd love to kind of pull that apart and explore how that works in your own life. Yeah. I love that you use the term working writer because yeah. I do think people think it's like rainbows and unicorns and you just sit down and it happens magically. The words flow out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. The birds are on my shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah. I do actually have deer that visit my office every day. So that's exciting. Um, I would say one of the hardest transitions for me because I worked in speech path for about 10 years and okay. then, um, I had a baby. And so I was freelancing. I was writing for, um, fun, just a lot of articles for newspapers and magazines. And when I decided I wanted to write fiction, you know, and really write, one of the hardest things was setting up boundaries and perimeters around my writing and making it into work time and also educating people around me, you know, that no, I can't go get coffee with you at, 11 in the morning because I'm writing. So I think in hindsight, it was great because my son, when I made the transition into writing as a career was in kindergarten, like your, your little daughter. And so I had this very finite amount of time. I would drop him off at school at eight and I had to pick him up at two. And so I would drop him off. I would come back. I would sit down and I would write until I, at that time I was writing 500 words a day, which felt like Oh my God, 500 words a day. Now I write 2000 words every day, Monday through Friday. Wow. Holy smokes. Every day. I do not leave until I finish 2000 words every day. Wow. You're a machine. Okay. Um, (laughs) And I really, it's funny because I will get to the point at 2000 words where maybe I still have more of the the story in my head that I want to put down, but I stop like 2000 words is just my like point. Sometimes that takes me two hours. Sometimes it takes me the whole time, but even now that my son is in high school and um, I don't have to pick him up because he's also in school in our dining room upstairs. Right. But um, I find that I still finish my word count of around two o'clock every day. And then in the afternoon, I'll like get out for a long walk or a hike and I'll do social and other things that are not writing based. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. You know, it's, I think there's a lot of analogies in the writing life. I come from athletics, right? I I played sports my entire life. And there's a lot of analogy between the writing life and athletics where it's like, you know, if you get trained in athletics to be able to run five miles a day and your body gets into the rhythm and your muscles are strong enough and, you know, you're not getting hurt and your tendons are strong, you can, you can do it every day. And for some, somebody who never runs five miles seems unbelievably impossible to do. And yet it's a matter of training more than it is anything else. It's just a matter of the consistency of it. And so I love the idea of setting a word count goal like that. And then like Hemingway yourself, if you're, if you still have more to be like, I'll, I'll leave it for tomorrow. I know where to pick up. Um, that's, that's, that's amazing. So, um, so, so you write your 2000 words And then do you have more like authorial duties that you are carrying out throughout the day? Yeah. So I have a big presence on social and, um, you know, I love engaging with readers and any other sort of busy paperwork, copy edits, (laughs) (laughs) all that gets saved for later in the day, but 2000 words a day now, some of it's just math, but I think you're so right about muscle memory. My son is a long distance runner. Um, so he has his first cross country meet 
for spring right now, this afternoon. And, you know, they'll run 12 miles now, no problem. But so it's that same muscle memory. Yeah. But 2000 words a day gets me a really terrible, very light first draft, like 50,000 words in six weeks. So really that's just getting the bones of the story out. And then that's when I let it sit and I walk away. Okay. And then, so are you always forever composing 2000 words a day? So you have your 50,000 word draft done. When do you go back and do the edits? And because I think in a lot of ways, the the editing process, I always call it rewriting because you know what I mean? Like so much of it's like editing makes it sound sometimes easier than what it is. Like sometimes it's, you're just literally throwing it out and starting over with two good ideas that came out of the draft, you know? Um, so are you still composing 2000 new words a day as you go through your editing and rewriting process or, or do those things like count? You know what I mean? Right. No, no. So the 2000 words a day is just getting that really terrible bones of the story out. And then I let it rest usually for a couple months, a first draft. So oftentimes then I'll do, I'll do a deep dive into research or I will switch and write something else, which is one of the reasons that I write multiple series because it takes me out of that headspace. I don't know about you, but I feel like then you need distance to be able to see where stuff isn't working. Yes. And I have this tendency to want to stay in that headspace. So writing something else or doing something different pulls me out of that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I could see that for sure. I, I, so, so you're, you're editing, you're, you almost have like multiple like series going at any given time then. Right. So you're composing one while you're editing another and vice versa. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. That's so interesting. That's so interesting. So, so, um, I want to, you kind of brought up social media a little bit and it's a topic we haven't talked about that much. Um, I think a lot of writing talk and author talk is very much like build your author brand, your, your author platform, I think is the word, your platform. Um, In your perspective, like when is the right time for an author to really start devoting significant amounts of time and energy and learning into how to build the, their platform. And I'm putting that in uh, quotations. Right. Well, I think I alluded to the fact that my dad was an English professor and taught Shakespeare. So he's still to this day is aghast, just completely aghast that as an author, as an author who's published by, you know, a big publishing house that I am still responsible for, you know, really like you're saying, there's, there's just, there's so many books on the shelves, which is a great thing, but then, you know, it's really hard, I think. And unless you are a mega author name, you're not going to get a ton of support from the publishing house in terms of, um, I think, you know, breaking down that myth that when you get a book contract, suddenly your limo is going to pull up in front of your house (laughs) with champagne and roses. Like, no, that's not going to happen. Um, so I actually think if your goal as a writer is to, make money. You know, if this is what you want to do as your career, if you want to be a working author, if you want to write to write, please do like we like, it's so therapeutic. I think you should, but if you want to make that transition into writing as a career, regardless of what route you go, whether it's self-publishing or traditionally publishing, you really do have to build an audience. And I recommend starting early on, at least like if nothing else, grab all the social media profiles, share kind of like what you're going to do with your journey through the process. I mean, you don't have to share, you don't have to have hundreds of people immediately either. Um, I just think the one thing is that such a turnoff uh, and that tends to happen, I think is that 
The new authors want to use that platform as like, buy my book, buy my book, buy yeah. my book. I liken that to in the days when you would go to the mall and like somebody's like spritzing you, like you don't want somebody in your face. Like, so I think the key is really building authentic connections. Um, yeah. And that, that takes time. And that means potentially sharing parts of yourself that maybe you wouldn't necessarily want to yeah. put out there. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. So that can be challenging, but I think that's really what then can transition you to having a readership that then is going to go out and, and tell their friends and support you. And yeah. 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 All of that, all that's so interesting. And I, and I totally agree with it as navigating the social landscape and just kind of the world that we live in. Um, you know, it kind of means you have to find some way to connect with a group of people who share your beliefs and your interests and your ideals. Um, and you can serve them in a way, right? Like a lot of, a lot of, um, really good social engagement is service. And, and that's kind of for our brand, for what we do. I think of a lot of what we do as being like, how can I serve a group of people who really want to write books? Like that's always kind of the North star. Um, do you, do you find that you have like a structure around your social engagement? Do you just organically flow with it? Like how, how do you um, cultivate this kind of author brand and this author platform? Yeah, I think it's just that, that like from the get-go, I, I was really resistant at first. So I, I have done lots of YouTube videos. I do lives now for this yep. last year. I've been writing collaborative mysteries with my audience together where each week we're building like a choose your own adventure. Oh, that's so and, cool. Oh, you know, I love that. That's so cool. Such a blast. Yeah, that's um, awesome. But at first I just, I did not want to be in front of a camera. Like you're saying, the thought of hearing <laughs> my own voice. Um, but my husband is a big tech guy and he was like, look, you just need to treat this. Like if, if I went to a book event, prior to this, when I would go to bookstores and libraries, like if you met me at a book event, this is what you're going to see. Like, I'm probably going to hug you. If you tell me <laughs> that you've read my book, I might cry a little bit. Like, so I think when you can shift and go, Oh wait, it's I, and, and I think that speaks to that idea of showing up in an authentic way. Like yeah, yeah. I'm sharing recipes. We're talking about books. We love like there I'm constantly shocked and humbled by the genuine connections that I've been able to make online. And I know there's lots of horrible stuff about social too, but um, I think if you show up in the right way and you put that part of yourself out that you want people to see and resonate, like that's going to show back up in return. I totally agree with this. And, and I'm, I'm bringing this up because uh, we have, we have a um, membership community for writers. And um, I was talking to somebody in that community about their author platform. And I was like, you know, the, the North star, at least to me, like the thing to shoot for is authenticity and the, the places where I've really regretted the actions online that I've taken as a brand, right? The things that I've put out is when I was not being authentic to just who I was and trying, you know, too hard to come from an, an energy that I don't naturally incorporate. I am not somebody who naturally is like a salesy, pushy person. I'm like, if it's good, great. If it's not, that's fine too. Um, and I feel like, you know, as people are building this, that world is so vast that like other people will line up with your energy. Like I always think about it, like vibrations, like people are going to be vibrating as the same frequency as you, and they will just naturally be attracted to you. They will just naturally want to be in your orbit if you're authentic, because I think we all crave authenticity. I think we all crave human connection. Um, we all crave this idea of belonging. And so, um, I, I I'm just, I'm so digging what you're saying. Like, 
we have a similar vibration. Whoa, this is so meta. Now it's like getting like, you know, layers upon layers upon layers. Totally. I'm 100% down with that. And I don't want to lower my vibration to some, like, I want, yeah. I want to rise and like bring everybody up along with like, let's keep going. How high yeah. can we get? Yeah, totally. I, I, I told you, you can use this world we have for such good. Um, and it can also be used for a lot of hurt and, and a lot of pain can be inflicted online with zero consequences, but there is that sense of good. There is that place of being like, there's something authentic and genuine that can happen here. Um, so I'm totally, I love it. Okay. So, um, here's the thing. I just looked down at the time and I was like, crap. Um, I have to bring us to our <laughs> final five questions. <laughs> this happens all the time. This, this is what happens when you're not really a professional interviewer and you just kind of go into this being like, let's have a good time. Uh, yeah. you wind up being like, well, be authentic. Yeah. yeah, well, there's <laughs> the time. Uh, okay. So, um, I ask these final five questions to every single person on the podcast. And if it's your first time listening, it, the, and I'm, I'm, uh, I always give this spiel, which is I do this for two reasons. First reason, I like it. That's, that's the big reason. The second reason is because I love the idea. Every author answers these questions very differently. Like I had a guest yesterday, uh, brand new answers way off the, the chart for what I normally get. And there's just something about showing the diversity of working writers, how they all answer these differently. And I hope it promotes this idea that Every writer is their own. Um, that you 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 have to find your own process. You are your own um, bar and measuring stick, and it's not anyone else. And so, whatever would be your answers to this, whatever is your way to put good words on the page, that's all that counts in this game. That's it. It's all you can control. So, with that said, let's jump into the first question, which is, what is the one word that best describes you? I know. I'm going to say Gemini. You're a Gemini too? Mm-hmm. Man, that's a whole boy. We just, we just opened a can of worms that we can't really explore. Damn. <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah. But I, I think it does really sum up who I am. Like I, I have both sides of that personality. Okay. I can be up and out and yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. What, what is just curious? What's your birthday? May 23rd. Okay. I'm 30th. Mm-hmm. Okay. Close. Actually, I have a Gemini tattoo. Different topic. <gasps> I yeah. want a Gemini tattoo. Oh, it's it's yeah. it's from the top of my shoulder down to like basically where my elbow is. Yeah, it's a big. Yeah. I'm gonna walk away from that one, boy. There's another hour. <laughs> it's gonna go by in a blink of an eye. Gemini <laughs> Gemini writers. There's a podcast. Gemini for writers. You. Yeah, Ooh, yeah. That would uh-huh. be a podcast for the ages. Okay. Second yeah. question. If you had to pick a spirit book, so this is a book that if you died and you were like reincarnated as a book, it like best encapsulates who you are, what book would that be? I think that book would be Letters to My Soul. What is this? What is this book? It's an old book that was a compilation of like Catherine Mansfield's poetry and all of these women poets from um, New Zealand back in the day that is long out of print, but I found a copy many years ago and it's just these beautiful like poet letters. And that's like a, just a stunningly beautiful title for a Mm -hmm. book. Holy Mm -hmm. smokes. I am instantly drawn just by the title to that book. I'm like, I want to read that. That sounds yeah. stunning. Okay. Question number three, 
is there a specific tool, pencil, software, chair, anything at all that you absolutely must have to write? Coffee. Coffee. That's right. So um, the setup, we didn't even get there. Um, behind Ellie is this beautiful, like, Technicolor poster. And I asked before we started recording, I said, what is that poster? And it is? It is the coffee wheel. So it tells you all of the beautiful notes and flavors and styles of coffee. Okay. Is there like a specific origin coffee that is like your just absolute favorite? Like, is there, if, if you could pick any, any origin of coffee, what would you be? What would you be? I tend to sway like really Guatemalan, like anything that is, mm -hmm. but I, it also depends on the season too. I will say. Yeah. I spent, um, I spent a good chunk of my college and then, and then right after working at like craft coffee companies and like experiencing like cupping and all this stuff. And it, boy, good coffee is good. What's cool about coffee too. It's a little bit like chocolate. There's not a lot of things in the world that you can have the best of, like you can never, you're not going to have the best car in the world. You know what I mean? You're not going to have the best house. You can legitimately buy the best coffee though. Like it's affordable and accessible, just like chocolate, which makes it really fun to experience the best the world has to offer with something. Oh Um, yeah. Even like wine, like you can't buy the best wine in the world. You know what I mean? Like anyways. All right. Question number four, how do you deal with the constant ups and downs of the writing life? Meditation. Can you expand on that? So I meditate every morning before I start writing, just for my own um, sense of well-being and like getting connected and grounded. Um, I think being a Gemini, you know, I can go up really quickly. So I definitely need to find ways that I ground my energy. But I also feel like when on days that I don't meditate, like the words don't flow the same for me either. So I think there's something so important about kind of setting the tone and having that quiet time to allow that creative energy to come in. And how, how long about are you meditating for? It depends on the day, usually 20 minutes, sometimes okay. a little longer. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so good, a good session, like tw- 20 minutes of meditation is I think a lot, like that's, that's not, not a lot, a lot, but it's a um, solid amount of time to be um, meditating. And so are you doing like a visualization meditation? Are you doing like a meditation where you're just clearing your mind and trying to like settle the clutter? Yeah, it's usually that I, um, I have some apps that I meditate with that I love calm. Um, I don't get paid by them, but like, there's (laughs) some, like, if you're new to meditation, I think there are some great tools that you can use like that, where you can have a guided meditation or music, but I tend to just like try to silence that, that chatter. Yeah. 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 I'm totally in the same boat where even, even like five minutes, three minutes before a writing session of mindfulness and just trying to calm the inner, you know, monkey brain is, is kind of what we hear in the meditation world a lot. Monkey brain was just constant chattering, um, has like exponential impact on the words and the word quality. So I, I love, I absolutely love that. Okay. Question number five. And our last question, if you could give, one piece of advice to new writers out there, what would it be? Um, it would be go watch Brene Brown's sweaty creatives video. 
um, because you are going to have so much noise again, not, <laughs> not only in your own head about your critic, your own internal critic, but you're going to have so many voices of negativity out there. And so like, if you want to start writing today, before you write a single word, go watch Brene Brown's Sweaty Creatives. Mm. Love it. Love it. Um, Ellie, where can people find you online? Like where, where are you hang out? Where are you most active? Um, they can find me at elliealexander.co and then I'm on um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, okay. all the good stuff. Where um, where would be a good place for someone to start within those social channels? I mean, I think you should go to the social channel you feel most comfortable okay. with. So you're, because, you're kind of ubiquitous. You have a presence yeah. across all of them. Okay. I really do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Some, some, some writers like I'm hard on Twitter and I'm on Facebook cause I have to be and vice versa. So cool. Yeah. Awesome. Ellie, thank you so much. This has been, um, such a fun conversation. I feel like I want to like, like unpack this Gemini thing with you now. Uh, <laughs> the combination of like Gemini and meditation. I'm like, okay, there's a lot more, you know, meat on the bone, but, uh, I so appreciate your time and your spirit and just, I mean, it's just such a fun conversation with you and I really appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, right back at you. I think you need to do a whole Gemini podcast. That's could be, it doesn't need to be with me, but like, I just want to listen to that. I feel like, yeah, I feel like I should email you. You are, um, this will be, I think the exact seven, 70th, seven zero published episode, wow. which blows my mind that there's been 70 people that I've inter- it feels like I just started in so many ways. Like it's weird to think there's 70 of these. Um, but I would imagine a chunk of those, I mean, 10% is probably Gemini's, you know, so right. get seven <laughs> people together. Boy, that'd that's be good. a wild combo. Um, <laughs> I don't even know what to, I don't even, yeah, that's a wild combo. Anyways, Ellie, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And, uh, it's been really wonderful. Thank you. Thank you again to Ellie for her time. I also want to say thank you so much for listening. If you haven't yet, of course, go give us a rating and review. But more than that, thank you. I appreciate you being on this journey with me.